Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to Indie Game Business. My name is Indy, and the gentleman right next to me is Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting. And today, our special guest is Trevor Dudek. Did I say that right? Dudek? Dudek. You got it. Dudek. And he is one of the founders of Lemonade. And he joins us today to discuss why it's important for developers to establish a, br- a brand early on and how they can grow it, and a bunch of other things that I'm sure we'll come up with as we get going into the podcast. Lunch, hopefully. Just uh talk about lunch. That'd be great. Yeah, so what are you going to have for lunch? I don't know. Some of you guys can help me figure it out. Hot dogs. uh, I haven't had lunch yet, so I can't help you there. (laughs) This has been great, guys. All All right. Show. Um, so, Trevor, welcome, and you know I appreciate it. But Trevor and I are doing a little bit of a, a one and one here. I was on his podcast Wednesday night, which, uh, as I'm told, has production value, so it's not immediately available. As opposed to you know Dan and I's project here, which is going to go straight to the podcast the minute we're done with it. Um, mean, this is this is all scripted. So yeah. yes, yes, it is. I got my script in the mail yesterday. So yeah, like hour long, you know, production meetings before we do all of these uh, these shows. So, Trevor, tell us a little bit. We always like to start. You know, how did you get into the game industry and walk us through your career up to this point? And yeah, do you have game? That's an important thing too. Yeah, I mean, my 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 wife would tell you probably no, I don't have game. Um, but somehow I would think maybe some because, you know, I have a wife, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, but, uh, you got to ask yourself that regularly. Right. Um, but I would say that, um, my, my background is, is, is kind of mixed between, um, content production and sales and digital marketing. Um, so I, I started, um, just, just knowing that like a big part of what I wanted to do was, was make content and tell stories. Um, and I got the, the opportunity to work for my cousin's production company when I was, was really young. And I, I tried to edit, I tried to shoot. Um, and I say tried because I was really horrible at all of those things and, and quickly realized that um, I, I could be a producer and that that was a role. And you know, working with um, clients and being a liaison between client and uh, the, the creative team was something I could, I could do. And I could also help with like actually bringing those projects in as well as helping put them together. Um, and so content and, and production has been a big part of my life and sales has as well. Um, I've also sold things I didn't believe in and, you know, things I, I wasn't um, passionate about, like uh, 
newspaper and stakes door to door. Um, but it's all it's all part of the grind and a part of figuring out um, your, your what you're good at and kind of honing your craft. Um, and and for me, um, it's all kind of come full circle now to to owning an agency with a really good friend of mine who I worked with at a production company here in San Francisco that we were running for about six years. Um, we didn't own it; uh, we were running it, um, and uh, really enjoyed working together as like producer, director, EP, that kind of thing. But we were trying to turn it into a, more of an agency because we saw the need for not just delivering great content, but for uh, brands and clients, whether it be a gaming client or, or a, you know, a product of some kind, uh, to, to really understand how they were going to distribute their content, how they were going to build audience. Um, and it wasn't our company, so we couldn't really turn it into what we wanted. So we started Lemonade. Uh, about two years ago to really solve that kind of holistic full service approach um, and really we focus in four key areas uh, gaming is is one of our main uh, industry targets and industry categories and it's it's really the biggest for us um, and it goes hand in hand with some of our other areas like entertainment etc so um, it's it's probably my favorite area to work in um, and it's it's you know tangentially you know related uh, as far as like us not being a game producer per se, but really our job, you know, is to take someone, for example, who has a game, you know, maybe here or in another country and figure out how are they going to build audience? How are they going to market their, their game or their next launch? How are they going to um, tell, tell the, the community about something? How are they going to um, brag about what's going on? It, it, the sky's the limit. Right. Um, so that's what we do now. So, I mean, there's so much stuff that we can get into around brands and everyone, you know, we constantly hammer into folks, you know, you got to start marketing your game. You got to start building that community. You got to start, you know, getting that ecosystem built around your title. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about from the company level. I mean, for years, yeah, and quite frankly, I think it's eroding a little bit at this point in time. But, you know, we've had wonderful brand associations with companies in the industry. And a lot of publishers like to still say that, oh, yeah, players play, you know, games based on that we put out because they love our brand. Blizzard is the one that always comes to mind. You know, if, if you say this game is coming from Blizzard, or Blizzard's got a game, you know, right. from brand standpoint, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about and they have this warm fuzzy around them or they used to they, they, that warm fuzzy is degrading a little bit but why should developers start focusing on you know the brand of their company as well as whatever game that there is going on yeah, I think I think that's a great question, and it all and it's a big question, but it it can kind of solve a lot of problems. I think brand is so important, um, and I think like as soon as you understand brand and like what a brand is, um, and and really as as you and I have talked about, like if you don't, if you're a developer, like find those resources to really to really learn about branding. Um, it can actually 
solve a lot of the problems that you're going to run into um, because it can transcend um, audiences and challenges and it can it can really um, take you from point A to point point B because uh, there's this there's this idea that the company owns the brand, but that's not really true. The the, the player, the customer owns the brand. It, it gets it, it gets put out by the company or the developer in this case. Um, but the person who really owns it and really you know creates a world around it is the community. You know the players, um, and so understanding what you're doing with your brand, the story you want to tell, the world you want to bring people into allows you to build something much bigger than just here's this one game, here's this thing, um, because everybody wants to create the next thing after that at some point, right? Um, and you can't do that unless you've built a successful brand uh, that people want to anticipate what's coming next from. So explain a little more, you know, so if we're building a brand on something, you know, we'll use IGB for an example. Why do you say that the the customers own that? You know, wouldn't we own it? I mean, we're the ones making it, right? Right, right. Yeah, I I, I think it's a, a really fascinating conversation because, like, technically on paper, like, yeah, you own the brand, but but really, it it maybe a better way to think about it is it it lives um, within. The community within the players within the customer um so there's this this great story uh someone someone i was talking to recently was telling um and this happened a while back but it was um there were these guys who were like super fans of coca-cola and they had developed um uh like uh, some they developed a, a whole kind of world around coke and and some some merch and messaging and um like a fan site um and coke could have basically shut these guys down and and you know hit them with lawsuits and done all the things that that many brands do but they didn't they they flew these these super fans out to atlanta they gave them the the, the red carpet tour um because they they realized the value of supporting your fans and supporting people who really love and and uh, admire and have actually like taken your brand and and made it a part of their life. I mean, people get tattoos of artists and and brands and things that mean something to them. You know, like that th these are things that live with people forever. Um, and so that's what I mean by saying that like yes, you put it out into the world, but it's it's ultimately going to become something different. You know, like like. I'm not a dad, but like putting a kid out into the world, you know, you hope for the best, but like it's going to become something and you have to foster that, right? You have to, you have to support that and just sort of guide it um, and do your best. Uh, so. See, it, here's the bad thing. It's like, I've played so much fallout at this point in time that it's hard for me to separate Coca-Cola from Nuka-Cola. And so it's, <laughs> when, when you tell me they flew these super fans out, I'm like, did they have to run the gauntlet? How did they do? Um, the, uh, so what sort of things should you be looking at? It's like, okay, we know we need to build a brand. We know we need to put some, some stuff out there. How do we do it? What, what, what's the, the first step, second step? I mean, how do we go about, you know, getting started on all of this to, to get it rolling? Yeah. Um, so are you thinking like in is it is in the shoes of someone who hasn't put anything out yet like brand yes. new 
from scratch. Yeah. Right. So in that, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> in that in that case, you know, I think you you have you're usually still building around something, right? Like your first title, right? So you're thinking, okay, let's say it's a FPS or you know it's first person shooter. You're you know it's going to be an action game. So so what you know you know you know the type of audience you know that you're going to be going after. Um, you know the kind of world you're going to be creating. Um, you 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 want to think about how the brand itself um, can evoke that, right? So you wouldn't have a you know sort of fluffy, cool, um, uh, delicate brand. You want something uh, you want something kind of edgy and 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 cool and modern, um, or maybe something throwback. Um, but you know you still need something that sort of matches the action genre that you're going into. And but you also need to think about like how can that brand itself um, be something that people associate with that genre, you know, because uh, you're, you're going to be trying to get people to play your game um, who already play something else, right? So one of the ways you can do that is by building a stronger brand than the next person. You know, we see that all the time. We see like bigger companies doing worse than someone who's smaller, who's just built a better brand, done better marketing, built a better community. Um, so I think you really want to start by understanding who your audience is um, and what what environment you're going to be bringing them into and how everything you do, every little decision you make, whether it's the logo, whether it's the messaging you use or how you talk to people on your social media channels, um, how you, you hype up your release, whatever it may be, um, comes from that kind of tone of voice and that style of, of the the world and the genre and the theme that you want to create, right? Because really we want to think about how they can go escape into your world versus the next person's, right? So how important is, is that logo? And I know that sounds like a stupid question, no. but, you know, it, it's when you're building this sort of stuff, I mean, it, if you are constantly iterating and changing your logo, you know, what makes a good logo how much is this something that <laughs> that you can do like I did with a power group and drop a P and a G in a circle in MS paint and that's what we've been using for 10 years or is this something where I need to go somewhere like what is it 99 creative or something where you can oh right fiber or something <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. What, what are those or is this like do I need to like go out and hire an agency to tell me how to stylize the IGB in the logo. What I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, like we started our agency a couple of years ago and like, you know, it's only right now a couple of years ago that we're taking some time to like really do like a refresh and a redesign. But as an agency, like my partner and I kind of had some ideas about what we wanted, but we went to a site where you pay 250 bucks and it's a competition and literally yeah. Literally, we got, I think, 300 submissions. And some of them are like people who submit to everything. So it's like they just change the font and they submit the same thing they said to someone else. And, you know, that's fine. But like there is some gold in there. And then whoever you choose can still make some changes based on, um, you know, what you what you want to do um, once you choose them. Um, and that worked for us, you know, um, because we still knew like who is our customer what are, what are we doing? We're an agency. Like, okay, so 
if you're if you're a game, if you know your genre, if you know you know certain colors you like or don't like, like just you're gonna have to have some decisions made, right? Um, but there's cheap ways to get things done, and then know that you can come back to it. I mean, you know, here in Silicon Valley, where I'm at, like every single startup who you know, and we've worked with them too. They they end up like coming to us after they they go through the like we're ready to grow up stage where they're like, hey, we've we've hit our next round of funding and now we're ready to like get a real website and get a get a real logo and like that's just part of it, you know. So you got to know that it's okay that things can change and things can get updated, um, but you should still try to try to be rooted in what you originally wanted to create and in and, and your kind of core values, right? As long as you stay true to that, I think people will respect it, you know? And that's where you see, I think, backlash is where brands try to turn into something they're not, you know, um, to down the road, you know, whether that be for executive uh, <laughs> leadership uh, direction reasons that don't make any sense or uh, some other, you know, person told them that it would be good to, to target some new audience that doesn't make any sense. I mean, who knows, right? Um, but you got to know uh, as, a, as a player, as a developer, you got to know what's going to make sense and just kind of stick to that, I think. What are, so that site is exactly the one I was talking about where yeah. I can't remember what the name of it is. Um, when I first started doing, um, when I first started doing graphics and stuff, I signed up on there and, and 99 designs and design crowd. Yeah. I want to say 99 bananas, but that's that horrible liquor. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a thing? <laughs> yes. It's a, uh, oh God, what was it? It's I'm like a, it's like a, some kind of banana flavored vodka or something. Sounds like horrible. It's, it's gross. It's um, a bad idea. The, uh, but that's like the first thing. Anything is like 99. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 99 bananas. Um, Jay-Z. So, We've got our studio and we've gone and, and we've got a logo picked and, and, you know, we're getting the website up there. You know, what do we do? What are the biggest mistakes that you typically see a young company make with their branding in general? Sure. Yeah, I think, I think, um, so it's, it's, it's one thing to like create the logo and, have some color schemes and have a website. It's another thing to decide, like, how are we going to speak to people um, on social media versus how we speak to people on our website? And they're not, they're not necessarily the same and they're not necessarily the same on every channel. Um, and they're not necessarily the same for every campaign um, that you might run to promote something, whether it's something you're, posting free on, on social media or whether it's a, a paid marketing campaign because you have some budget for that. Um, but it should all still come back to a blueprint. And a lot of times we end up helping companies, even big brands who kind of think they have that stuff figured out. But, but what we realize is, you know, we'll get asked to take over their social media and they'll hand us something that they kind of think solves all of those problems. Um, but, it says, who's our target? It's like, oh, it's uh, millennials. And it's like, well, your, your target audience is, is like seven to 10 versions of that person. And each of those people has different things that interest them, different things that don't interest them, different visuals that they're interested in, um, different um, sort of sub genre and subculture things that, that are going to 
to pull them in. So like recently we were talking to, to, to a brand um, kind of like a second life sort of a situation where it was like, how, how do we pull people into that? And it was like, well, we want to think about um, people who are into EDM. We want to think about subgenres. We want to think about um, subculture. Um, we want to think about other scenarios outside of just the age demographic and the geography that they're giving us, because we need to make sure that not only does the marketing hit people who are qualified to, to, to fit their, their community, but also people who are going to stay for a while and create content and, and be, be part of the community and be active. Right. Um, and that's what you need with pretty much any game, right. Um, is new people to stick and, and be around for a while. So I think there's this fundamental thing of like, okay, you got the branding done, but the messaging and the positioning and how that breaks out to every channel, which is something we often help with is also something you can take a shot at yourself if you don't have a, a an agency partner yet, but it's important to do. And it's important to know how you're going to do those things. All right, so let's look at two different scenarios here. Cause I mean, a lot of the developers that we work with at the Powell group, they, they're fall, they need one of two things. They either need to find a publisher for their game or they need to bring in more contract work and, and, you know, gigs like that. So even when you're going and you're trying to find a publisher for your game, you also need to be talking to, you know, the consumers in, yeah. your, in your messaging and all that sort of stuff. What channels are important on a, on a B to C basis? You know, what are the best consumer based channels for developers to focus on? And then which ones perform better on a business to business route? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, it, it, it changes a little based on who you're trying to reach on the consumer level. So I would say, you know, if you, if you're like Gen Z, then like you have to be thinking about TikTok, you have to be thinking about Instagram for sure. But if you're like, you know, millennial or mid millennial, um, and, and up, then hey, wait, time out, Trevor. I don't know how old these people are. So what, let's do that. Let's start. Yeah, with, sure. You define the, you know, ages. So how old are millennials these days? So millennial, uh, and this, this, so like, I, I always say like, uh, here, I want to, I want to look at uh, how they define mid millennial, but, uh, so, so, Anything, anything from the '90s to the 2000s um, is going to be Gen Z. Okay, um, that's that's obviously like what anybody's focused on right now. It seems like, um, and then for for millennials, we're going to be looking at anything from 81 birth years 81 to 96, um, and then for uh, anything baby boomers, anything like below that, it's just going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be like 81 and below. I mean, you could break this down a lot further, but just try, <laughs> just trying to keep it like really, really simple. Um, it is just to think about, okay, if it's teenagers, then, uh, then, then TikTok. If it's, if it's, uh, oh, you know, over 20 to like 30, then Instagram, Facebook. If it's um, above that, um, still still Facebook is in there because I mean my grandmother's on Facebook more than I am, um, but uh, then then you might consider like also just you know 
how much email marketing should you be doing and that kind of stuff as well, right? Um, but I would say like it's it's more it's more about the the how those specific audiences break down. Um, so you you wouldn't necessarily just go on on a platform like TikTok because you're reaching a young audience. You'd go there if you were reaching a young audience who you could develop good content for. <laughs> um, if you're good, if you're not ready for it, if you're going to do a bad job, like don't don't do it just because it's the thing. I just want to make that clear, right? Like, because that's that's where I think a lot of people get that pressure of like, oh, we got to be on TikTok or we got to be here, right? Um, you got to also have a plan and you got to make sure you can develop some content regularly for any channel that you're going to go after. Um, I, I for, for example, focus on LinkedIn. Um, all the other channels are kind of just in the background for me um, because I don't socialize in a meaningful way, um, even on Instagram. Even though like the work we do is visual, um, there's not a lot of like meaningful messaging and interaction happening about the projects that we do from a B2B level on, on Instagram. And I see people try to use it for that, but it's really all about LinkedIn and LinkedIn's so underrated. And the organic reach on there is is at, is better than anything other than TikTok right now. The um, somebody said that they're shocked that Reddit's on that list. Sorry, yeah, thank you. Reddit should be on the list as well, especially uh, if you're if you're a developer uh, on the B two B level, um, but also just for like research on the B two C level. Like, see see what see what the word on the street is. You know, so the how do you? I mean, are are there their best practices for going to each? I mean, because every platform is different. It's like I can do good stuff on LinkedIn because I'm like you. I, I understand that platform. I'm not on Facebook that much, even though if you look at you know where we when we stream, typically Facebook is bringing the most people in, which just terrifies me on some levels, but. I suck at Reddit. It's like I cannot do meaningful posts on Reddit. Yeah, it's not my platform either. I, I get you. Um, so how do you, I mean, is there a situation where you need to just basically go out and find somebody who's a Reddit expert or, or I mean, and I'm not picking on Reddit in, in particular, but how much do you have to vary your, your voice on each platform? Or is it something where you can use like a buffer or something to just blast out? everything so ideal like ideal scenario is that everything is 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 adjusted for each channel and it's not the exact same same content let's say you're 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 putting putting something out on five different channels today ideally it would look a little bit different on everything now i would i would i would say that most people even huge brands with huge marketing departments aren't able to do a good job of that um, that's cause it's a lot of freaking work. Um, and, and it's, it's hard. So we tend to see scenarios, whether it's us or whether it's a brand doing it themselves or, uh, you know, just, just a person, um, focus on kind of two primary channels where you really know this is where my audience is. This is where I can drive results. And then everything else can be cross posting. Um, one to two primary channels, like find which ones are going to be the right fit for you. 
um, and understand how to create content there. And if you don't learn it, you know, that's that's a task you're going to have to master. Um, and the more the more you get better at that on your own, um, the easier it will be to understand when you need help or when you bring in someone to shoot content for you to scale up to, you know, really take the next step. Um, but volume of content consistency, at least on one or two platforms is going to help pretty much any brand in the world succeed. Let's let's uh, hit up. Div's got a question here. Well, first, let's uh, pull up Nightwolf's comment. Nightwolf says uh, about Reddit for advertising, go to niche. Oh, look, I'm just right here. Hi. Uh, go to niche out there anywhere as a professional or go to the trenches where you could get trolled, but play it like a challenge since the dark side of Reddit could either give you got you a cult or burn you down. I, I, I have so many downvotes on anything that I ever post. I just I just avoid it. So let's uh, read the question from Div. What is the channel that needs to be one of these two? Twitter, I assume. Yeah, I think so. If you're, if you're, uh, if, 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 if I'd answer the question differently though. So I would say if for me, I'm B2B, right? So for me, it's going to be LinkedIn. Um, and then second to that is probably um, Instagram because it's visual. Um, actually, second to that would be YouTube because I'm going to house my content on that. You know, because we're like creative studio and agency. And I'm just giving an example of like me, right? Now, if you're a developer, that actually could could look um, potentially similar because if you're trying to make connections with with business people, with, with people who can help further your, your game, um, LinkedIn should definitely not be overlooked. Um, if you have content that you can share, like rich video content, um, I would definitely like host that on YouTube, but you're not going to primarily engage. So, so Twitter could be your vehicle for that. So it could be your two top channels of LinkedIn and Twitter, and then you could host content on YouTube. We bring I, I kind of feel like to a matrix. Like, I, I kind of feel like Twitter has done this big shift, right? Cause it went from like fan stuff to now if a game dev posts about their game, their post, you know, publishers look at it, other game devs, plus with all like the, uh, pitch a game hashtags and stuff. It's it's more like industry people seeing it. And maybe Twitch streamers, YouTubers use Twitter. But it's like as far as tweeting about, you know, your game to fans on Twitter, I, I don't think it's as much uh, fan facing as it used to be. What do you think about that? Yeah, it depends on the goal. So are you thinking B2C? Because we're talking B2B and B2C. You got to give me the direction, right? So which is it? Uh, what I'm, I was just saying, like, uh, if a dev posts on Twitter to fans. Yeah, I agree with you with that. I, I think I think the results are probably mixed. Um, I mean, if it's just a quick update, you know, like, hey, we're, we're pushing a we're pushing a patch or something like that's cool. You know, Twitter is good for that. Just kind of quick news. Um, but I, I I would use I would use a, a Facebook or um something else where you could have a bit more of a rich, you know, post, um, a little more, a little more content there. If you have something meaningful to say, um, and you can target people differently because the targeting on Facebook is, is a lot better than, than Twitter. It's, and it, I, it I, I, better, I, but it's a much worse interface to try to figure out that. Yeah. I, I personally have changed how I use Facebook. Like I don't go on there for family stuff and photos and stuff. I go on there and I look through it to see like 
if there's a site I want to visit, or of course, because Facebook has the amazing al algorithm and knows every single thing that I want. So, you know, I'll click, oh, this site, this looks cool. This motorcycle thing's cool and this, whatever. And then I hardly ever go on and look at people's feeds and like their stuff and, you know, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm a lurker. <laughs> like you, I am too. I'll, I'll yeah. like, even on, on any platform, Twitter, I'll like, oh, I'll scan through stuff, scan, scan, scan. And then, oh, maybe I should like something, you know, 40 things later. Pachink. But that's, uh, you bring up a good point though. So like, cause I'm not, I, where I am active though is LinkedIn. Cause that's my primary channel. So I think whichever your primary channel or channels are where you're going to be active, where you feel like you can find people who can further your career or your business, you have to be more than just uh, scanning and, and lurking in the shadows. Um, so like on LinkedIn, if I post something, um, I literally try to respond to every single comment um, and then I'm also going off of my channel and engaging with with other people, people's content, whether they're friends of mine or not. Um, and I'm actively adding new connections every week. Um, and I'm putting out three to five posts per week. So it's a lot of work. That's a lot of that's a lot of posts. Yeah. Oh, OK, so it takes. Here we but go. the organic uh, reach on something like LinkedIn is huge. And, right. and I would say something like TikTok, you're going to have huge potential to grow very quickly as well. And I don't really do anything on LinkedIn. And I have more people trying to connect with me on LinkedIn than any other platform. Exactly. Okay, Nightwolf, how do you post on LinkedIn when you are new and do not have anything really professional or in store? Would that devalue your LinkedIn or create a harsher judgment if you post in progress? No, no, not at all. I mean, I think um, there's a number of things, you, a number of angles you could take there. One, um, there's a lot of people who are just interested in building their network. They will accept your your connection requests on LinkedIn, even if you don't have anything uh, on your profile or any posts. Um, and you should start that engagement where you're going and finding content you like, uh, and you're following people, you're engaging with them, you're leaving comments and um, you're, you're asking questions. Like that's a great thing to do on a platform like LinkedIn is like ask questions about something, um, within comments or, you know, just broadly, you know, to your, to your audience, if you do have, uh, followers at a certain point, get it, get a conversation going. Um, you could put something out and say like, Hey, this is a work in progress. I'd love some feedback on it. You know, I'm early in my, my journey here, or, uh, you know, we're thinking about doing this. And you can create a poll and you can say, like, should we go this direction? Should we go that? Are there any other uh, developers out there, designers out there who've had this issue? Um, people love those conversations on LinkedIn. What they we, don't actually is like political stuff and all the shit you see on Facebook. We've actually had that discussion about imposter syndrome where people are like, well, I don't know enough to post. You, you don't realize the stuff that you know that other people don't, even if right. you just only been doing stuff for a little bit right people people just starting out and have never done anything they will like suck up that knowledge of even if you've been doing it six months or a year or just started yeah. you know and, it's and like this happened to me i don't you know people, and people like love to, sh to teach and share you know like i mean i learn stuff all the time you know online and like linkedin specifically but i also like will answer a question if i know the answer and you feel great about it you know even if it's simple or stupid or you, you heard the answer yesterday from someone else mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know jay you were talking about your discord right um you know when you first started that 
you were like, I don't know what's going to happen. But then when you got it going, you're seeing other people answering other people's questions in there. Like, how cool was that moment, right? Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. So one thing to keep in mind, Div on uh, or Nightwolf, both of you, either one, on LinkedIn that you really have to be careful of. And I learned this a little later on because I'm one of those people that for years, you know, if you sent me an invite, I just accepted it. I was like, yeah, I need to get a big old network going on and all this other right, stuff. Right. The quality of your network on LinkedIn matters dramatically because the way that they're at their algorithm distributes your posts it's going to go basically to boil it down it's going to go to a percentage of your total network so you don't want people in your network that have absolutely nothing to do with the game industry you, you know a lot of these people and, and you know it's it's all kinds of different genres from accountants to lawyers to um real estate agents and you know there's tons of people out who are trying to get this gigantic network but you want to make sure that you really only follow people and and connect with people that you have a direct i mean i'm not gonna say direct relationship with because i think those days of linkedin are gone but mm -hmm. the that are in your particular sphere of influencer or, or industry or whatever because otherwise the stuff that you do post is getting wasted it, it's not going you're not going to get nearly the engagement out of it so over the past year i have i've not only called a lot of the people that i was connected with on linkedin but i'm also much more picky you know when, when people send me a linkedin request you know time to go through linkedin and take out sally that works at some uh, movie theater in yeah i mean seriously i mean this is no disrespect to sally i think she probably does a great job you know with the popcorn and the tickets but well, we call her sally from the alley so oh uh, <laughs> she uh she she's not our target audience you know so you, you've got to you've got to be there and, and the other thing and we talk about this a lot it's important even if you're not posting on linkedin it's important as a developer to have a personal page and also have one for your company because Absolutely. yeah, it, it gives you that legitimacy. I mean, that's the first thing. If I go and somebody sends me a, you know, they want to do something together or whatever the invite is. And I look and it has a little gray building as the uh, logo for the company. I'm like, you don't even so have, a, you, you've got to do something here. So make sure you've got that to, to start with. Yeah. That's such a turnoff um, for anybody and anybody I see with that. That's, that's a small thing you just brought up, but it's a huge thing. It is. It's a huge thing. And I see that and I'm like, okay, either you're, you, you haven't taken the time to like 
this small amount of time to just figure that out, or you're not big enough to, to at least, you know, care about your brand to have a logo, or you just are not going to respond to anything I send you. Cause you don't, you don't care, you know, cause, cause you didn't go find, you didn't even go put in the right company name that might have a logo. <laughs> sometimes I see that with like big, big brands. It, it, it is. And it, the other one that's like the most basic one that I see developers not take seriously is use the URL from your website as your email address. Do not send me business emails from Trevor at gmail.com yeah. because that's, it's just, no, it, it doesn't look, it doesn't look professional. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, we have a, you know, we do a lot of lead generation for our agency and, um, we, we do, we filter th out Gmail. So as soon as a Gmail lead comes in, um, it, it gets very low, it de deprioritized immediately. So how, uh, that's a very good point. And, and so let's talk about, talk about lead generation for a minute too, because I mean, especially when studios are working on, on, on contract work or they need, you know, they're, they're pitching their art services and things like that. They need to have some form of basic lead generation pipeline. Can you, you know, explain a little bit about what it is and, and then the tools that you all use and, and how that actually works. Yeah, sure. Um, so the tools that we use are um, primarily what we're doing is we're sending traffic to our website. Um, our website is very much just a brochure style website. Um, it's informational. It's got a little bit about what we do, some sample work, and it's meant to get you to, to send us an email. Um, we never get phone calls. I mean, people just don't pick up the phone. They, they, 99% people are going to fill out that lead form. Um, and, uh, we also recently started using, uh, the chat bot. Uh, so we have a drift chat bot. Um, I recommend drift, uh, in particular. Um, it's really easy to set up. It's really easy to use. You can program a bunch of stuff in and it can do that filtering that I mentioned and some other really cool things. Um, but essentially we're sending people into that funnel. Now, how we get them there is, is where it gets interesting. So AdWords is our primary lead driver. That's where most of our leads come from. Um, and there's a lot of work to really dial that in and, and, um, curate the keywords, um, and different landing pages in some cases and different geographies and, um, you know, figuring out, you know, which, which is costing more, which is costing less. And, and really like you can spend a ton of time just there. I mean, I've literally, I can attribute building my business to AdWords um, because no one knew who we were. Um, and, and I just got aggressive spending money on AdWords because I knew, I knew that would work. And I knew that's, that's how we could do it. Um, and I knew that a lot of other agencies weren't and still don't spend money advertising and promoting themselves. They work through like word of mouth or they work through, um, you know, someone leaving one agency and starting another and bringing a client with them and kind of hoping the rest will follow. And that's great, but you need cold um, leads as well. Um, the second one we do is email marketing. That's very curated and targeted in terms of the company size and, and industries that we reach out to. Um, and then the third is LinkedIn. That that's uh, a, a, a like right up there, you know. You, so you're, you're running ads on LinkedIn? No, um, okay. we're not running ads on LinkedIn. Actually, um, we haven't tested that yet. Um, they're also very high CPM, um, just for what it's worth. Um, and 
for us, the key with LinkedIn is a lot of original content. Um, so we post, like I said, three to five times a week, mostly on my page. Now our company page, we've started to, to do a little bit, but company pages don't optimize or work the same way as personal pages on LinkedIn. You're never going to get a company page to do as well as a personal page. So I highly recommend picking someone within your organization to be the front person um, and use their page on behalf of your company and still have that company page. And you should still post or repost on the company page. But the way the algorithms work and the way everything is designed, the personal pages are going to get the most amount of attention. So we post mostly on mine. Um, we repost and cross post some certain things to the company page. Um, we are reaching out um, to, to people we've used the sales navigator and LinkedIn for. Um, we're reaching out to them every week and adding 20 to 50 new contacts. Um, and then we are sending people into um, uh, different categories. So if, if we think someone's a fit for the podcast that we do, um, they'll get a very curated message because that, that's a very short list. Um, and that's really just about like scheduling someone for the podcast, but that can also become lead generation, um, because that conversation can turn into us helping them or them helping us. Um, and then the other category is just like pure connections, casual conversations that turn a bit, a bit salesy at, at a certain point. And that's the real like delicate part of LinkedIn is finding the right moment to really get your pitch out you can't do it in the first message you can't do it in the second message even sometimes you have to find the right moment to do it um so there's a lot of science behind it it's a lot of trial and error it's, yeah it's... it took a while so uh matthew's got a question from youtube it says how much does it cost to hire a marketer like a facebook page manager so what sure that could bleed into a bigger question as well. And so what sort of roles or support do you need for these different channels? And, and, and yeah, what's that going to cost you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say uh, it depends, you know, what you're trying to do. So if, if, if you just need, if you just want someone to kind of like be a overall social media manager and kind of oversee all of your accounts, um, and maybe some paid, but mostly just organic, kind of just get you going. I would definitely not necessarily look for an agency unless you've got funding. I would, I would, I would say you're at that point where you should find an independent social media manager, freelance person um, who you can start with like five, 10, 15 hours a week. You know, whatever you guys can decide together is a good enough balance to get going because you're going to want to just make sure the pages are properly built out. There are some things there to just kind of clean up usually, um, figure out a, a schedule of, of content, figure out how that's going to happen and figure out who you want to reach and, and how you're going to start targeting them. And, and then as things grow and as you start to get some traction, um, then you, you, you may need more resources or you may need more hours from that person now as at an agency level like if you've got funding you know we have separate people so we have one person that their entire job is just managing facebook ads but that's because they're scaling you know ads into the hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time right so like they they can only focus on that <laughs> um 
but then we also have have people at our agency who their job is to do that one I just mentioned, where they oversee a brand's um, entire scope of of social accounts, and the brand does some of their posts. We do some of them, and we kind of basically add bandwidth to their team. Um, so it's going to depend where you're at. I mean, at some point you're going to grow, you're going to have some money, and and you're not going to want to do that or worry about that, you know, yourself. You're going to bring people on, but I would just start with more of a freelance resource and kind of grow from there. Be my recommendation. Cost-wise, I mean, I think you can find a good person for twenty-five to thirty-five an hour, um, potentially, potentially even less. Um, I wouldn't focus so much on the hourly. It's more about someone who's good at what they do. And if they're quick, um, you can just figure out a monthly budget and say like, this is what I can afford. This is what I need accomplished, you know? So the follow on is, you know, is Fiverr a good place to find freelancers? I think Upwork's better for something like that. Um, I, but I haven't used Fiverr a lot. Um, to be honest, I don't know if I, I don't know if I have as much trial and error there. So what's the difference? I mean, I've, I've actually only used Fiverr in the past. Like when we do data entry stuff, mm. and things like that. what's the difference between the two? Maybe Fiverr's changed a lot since I've, since I've looked at it, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, I, when I, when I looked at it earlier on, you know, it just seemed like it was more of a place to get a quick thing done. But now it seems like it's 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 more the gig economy that you're seeing with Upwork and stuff now um, where you can go hire someone like a social media manager. So, yeah, I just haven't used it in that way. So I think I think Upwork's a great solution. Sounds like Fiverr fits that role, too. I just haven't used it for that. But you're hiring you're hiring like freelance people to do a consistent job on there, though. Like I'm going to do like data entry or uh, producer or developer. Like you're finding anything and everything on there at the moment. We, I mean, it's not, we, we don't have somebody like full time on Fiverr. Um, but we, I mean, we found a couple of really good uh, data entry folks on there. And that's who we go back and forth to whenever we need something. It's not like nice. all the time thing though. But um, you found some reliable people. Do this Nightwolf yeah. question here. Nightwolf always with the good questions. Mr. Nightwolf, um, big question. Since I follow quite a bit of animators slash voice actors, would YouTubers' business emails be a good way to contact slash hire people? Uh, so if you follow YouTubers and animators, would, yeah, I mean, you could start with their with their email that's listed on their on their YouTube. I've seen hit or miss results with that to get a hold of people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we do a lot of influencer marketing, and um, sometimes you get get through to people. Sometimes they're not checking that stuff as well. So, um, I would I would also you know try to connect with them on other platforms that are a bit more responsive as well, like you know a LinkedIn or an Instagram, you know, where you can DM someone um, and and hit them up on all fronts because. I mean, I recently hit someone up from their YouTube Gmail that I wanted to collaborate with and, and just no response and I'm offering to pay them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's weird to me. Sometimes they're just there and they don't, they don't manage it very well. 
I don't know if I'm answering the question is 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 was intended, but if if I'm not, let me know, Nightwolf. I had a question and it completely just evaded my brain. I'm not sure where it went. So I mean, once you get once you get these inbound people, visitors, potential customers, fans, whatever. What should you do? What's that call of action that you need to do to to retain them? I mean, should you be looking to, you know, drive them to a Discord or drive them to your Steam page or drive? What, what what's your goal when you start pulling those in? Yeah, it's a great question because to me, the other thing I wanted to talk about was community development, and I, I think that's super important. And I think that is one of the tools you can use um, all the time, but especially if you um maybe don't have uh don't have a game out yet or you know you're still building your your career your your network um or if you have something you know like i think there was a note earlier like hey if i have work in progress what can i do um that's a that's a you know environment in which you know the community will appreciate the fact that you're giving them that preview that no one else is getting you know, it's kind of like paying to be part of the, 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 the secret club or whatever, right? But you don't have to pay, you just subscribe, you know? So I think that's the sort of reward that you want to give people who subscribe and who follow your channels is you want to give them original and, you know, exclusive content for those channels. Um, so telling them stories about what you're working on, um, showing them, you know, what's coming out or what you're up to or, even challenges you're 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 trying to solve. I think people will appreciate that. Um, I think once you have something released, once you have a game out, that's that's where you want to use those channels to um, think about things like R and D that can actually be done through social now. You don't need to go hire a big research agency anymore. You can do that through social. Um, you know, we were talking about Reddit earlier. I mean, like, there's you're going to find out how you're doing. You know. Um, good or bad um, with, with what the conversation is about you or your game on, on Reddit. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that you can use to your advantage. You know, that's it. That's a huge deal. Um, so I would, I would just say, think about these free channels as something that you can leverage. Um, and one example I'll give is, and this is a big game that we were working with um, and we still work with. They're big in Latin America, really not, not very big here in the US. One of the things that we did for them before we started using these massive budgets they had for paid advertising is we said, that's all great, but you guys need to establish your Discord, need to establish your social channels here. So they, they did the Discord, we helped them establish their social channels here a little bit better. But then the other thing we did is we found some journalists and players who enjoyed the game and we worked collaboratively with them to develop a community site for tips and tricks on the game, US hosted site, because they had that stuff in their other markets, but they didn't have anything in the voice and tone and just time zone of, of the US, right? Um, and it was so needed. Um, and it's, it's still just kind of this little thing, but it's growing every month. And we're working with the brand to be able to, you know, give those journalists some exclusive content at times that they can put out. Um, we're, we're putting tips and tricks videos out, you know, so 
if it's your game, you're probably one of the best people who can put tips and tricks out for it, right? That kind of content, you know, is gold. Um, like use your channels for, for stuff that's going to help your community, help your players, um, because that's going to reward them, you know, more than any diamond code could or something like that, you know? So how much of that, I mean, it's a good point when you're talking about handing out tips and tricks and things like that. We've got a client that does, does similar work there. Right. So yeah. You show me that. Yeah. The, um, how much of that should you keep for your own fans and how much of that should you be using to like seed the field for new people? Like how much should you make, make exclusive or like not? Yeah. And it's like, how do you strike that balance between, okay, here's a, here's a perk that we're going to use for our existing fans and the people that are engaged with us. And then here's a perk that we're going to use for, you know, to try to get more people interested and, and give them value. Got it. Yeah, I mean, that it's, it's almost kind of like the question we had before, right, of like, should there be different content for different channels? So I think your answer is, it, the answer is yes, like it should be a little different. Um, so like what you're what you're putting out, if you're promoting something to someone new, you know, should that be a better deal than, you know, like let's say you're giving away, you know, codes or something, right? Should that be a better deal than, you know, is offered to your, your current players. Um, I mean, in theory, no, but you probably already did that at some point to the current players. So I don't necessarily think um, you're, you're pissing them off um, to get new people into the, into the, the mix um, that they could play with. Right. But I do think you have to think about what is the exclusive piece of content or, or type of, of, of content that they're going to appreciate even more. And that would be things like, hey, like, listen to the community, you know? So we're saying this thing isn't working and they actually see the, the developer go fix it. Like, that's huge, right? Um, I see that all the time where it's like, ah, this is a great promotion, but why don't they just listen to our freaking comments and change this other problem, <laughs> you know? Like, those are those things are going to go miles further than like matching the same thing you're doing in an ad as you are in the in the community. Um, and I, I would I would kind of put like the tips and that kind of stuff in a similar bucket, I guess. So uh, we've we got some more questions. I'm going to toss out one more bond before we dive too far into them, though. You know a lot of times that we think of branding as in, okay, this is your logo. This is your, you know, colors, and this is your font and all this other stuff. But what we're learning here is it's also your voice. So how do you appropriately deal with just the trolls and the toxicity out there while maintaining, you know, a good brand presence with your social media voice? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and we've we've worked with some clients who've had a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of the trolls and the toxicity, um, and it's it's hard it's hard to manage. You know, it's not an easy thing. Um, but I think that you you have to like like the first the first thing is like try to try to actually um, sorry it's like an all all Bay Area alert thing for COVID that just came on my phone. Um, <laughs> sorry, um, we're live. Um, but 
you have to first try not to create a problem, right? So like, the, like start there, you know, um, but it's going to happen. Like you're, you know, you're not going to make everybody happy. Um, if you're, if you're every, if you're everything to everything, everybody, you're, you're nothing to no one. Right. Um, and, and that's important to always remember that you're, you're not going to be able to, to achieve what everyone is looking for. Um, so I think you got to like stick to your choices, kind of like we're talking about with the branding, like know what you're trying to achieve, know what you're putting out there. Um, and then once you do, you know, stay rooted in that. Um, but especially in something like, like gaming, be open to that feedback of like, Hey, this is great, but like, we're trying to get from here to here. And it'd be great if we had this, this tool or this advantage or this thing, you know, like, you want what you want to see, whether you're the person who's making that comment in the community or whether you're um, someone who sees that comment is you want to see the, the, the brand respond and say, thanks so much. We're going to put this like into our, our consideration queue. Like we appreciate you, you know, for, for caring, you know, and um, like you want to ideally see something, you know, change um, if it's a big enough Thing that enough people have talked about right um but what you don't want to see is things that go unresponded to and we see that with brands across the board someone will have a nasty comment and just no response just crickets and that's the worst because that shows that you just aren't taking the time or you don't care or you don't agree or you don't agree to disagree um but don't do that um and if it's just vulgar like nonsense hide that stuff get them out of there all right, I know we got questions. Sorry, I've been glossing over them. <laughs> you want to let's just start at the bottom and we'll work backwards. Nightwolf, uh, I've seen some itch.io devs, artists, and animators have Patreons to show future works and patches. If going that route, how do you decide which can be shared and which should have a paywall? And is that even an approach that can work? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, charging charging for that kind of stuff, it'd have to be really good. I mean, <laughs> it'd have to be something people really, really need. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of against charging for things in general um, like that um, ahead of, like, actually a, a release. Um, but if, if that's your role, like if your role is, is, is like, Hey, this is what I do. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to release, you know, patches and fixes and things that like the developers don't have time to do. That's actually kind of cool, you know, and you could have a, you could have a career out of that. Um, I would appreciate that, you know, but I'd want to kind of feel like that was what that person did. And like, maybe that's their branding and that's kind of how they present themselves is like, I'm the, I'm the guy who fixes stuff, <laughs> you know, I would pay for that if it was a little, $10 thing that helped me get to the next part, you know? Nightwolf, you should reach out to Corey on the Discord, Corey Trees, because they we've asked, they have a Patreon page for their development stuff. And, and I remember at one point we asked him, was it a viable way to fund stuff? And he said, basically, no. Uh, <laughs> but reach out to him because he may have some feedback on that as well. All right, Indy. Indy's muted. No, I'm here. I'm just looking to see uh, what's the next question. Yo. Um, Yo. I think we got them all. 
Do you agree with that though, Jay? Like, would you pay for something if it was, um, like if it was something you needed, something that was going to help? I don't know. I'm just curious. I support devs on Patreon because I like what they do. And I, this is when Corey and I were talking about it. He was one of the last interviews on the show. And I was like, I don't give a shit about your animation that you're sending me a preview of. I was like, I really don't care. I could care less. I want you to make the game. And I like what you all are doing. So I give you X amount of dollars a month. Um, Patreon, I think it is hard. I think it can be done. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're a minority group that's going to recognize something from that angle. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's why I think it, it, it's tough. You know, I see a lot of Patreons that basically exist as extensions of completed Kickstarters. Um, and I can see something there, but I do, unless we develop a way of distributing content where, you know, a Patreon user is going to get two weeks or a week, a week shot at new content before anybody else does, which I think, frankly, would be really cool. Um, but I don't know if we could do that. I don't even know if that technology exists or if any of the platforms are set up like that. Um, but I think it's tough uh, unless you're doing like commission pieces and things like that to, you know, subside on, on a Patreon. Now that said, one of the best ongoing novel series I've ever, ever read that I am thoroughly addicted to is called the wandering in from a author called pirate ABBA, pirate ABA the entire thing is free online you know they they have versions that come out that's cool. a volume here or there like the first three volumes i think are available on kindle for you know a couple of bucks nothing major but the entire thing is well funded by by patreon and patreon users mm -hmm. in that case get access to new chapters and new content before everybody else i just don't know if we can do that for the game that's cool though. Somebody's kind of hacked the systems together there to, to, to solve what they needed to solve. Like that's awesome. And um, hold on, I got I got to get the dog. But Dio's got a good point because Dwarf Fortress. See what the dog has to say. Work. <laughs> dog says, "Let me out." And the dog <laughs> says, "Isn't it beer 30? <laughs> sure. And then we have Jay's chair. Jay's chair. What do you think? Mm -hmm. It looks like it's smiling, right? It's it looks like it's slowly turning. Mm. Oh, that was creepy. What's the dog say? Dog said it's freaking cold out here. Let me in. <laughs> um, maybe it's cold outside. Yeah. <laughs> she went to the groomer today, so she's a little less woolly than normal. Is, is your dog uh, always hey, embarrassed hey, after they go to the Christmas, groomer? So oh god, no, she loves it. It's like a freaking spa day for her. I mean, she literally she we take her in and we open the little gate to give her to go back to the back because they have the kennels and everything but back behind the the grooming area and she goes back goes to the exact crate she wants every single time and if there's another dog in there she would like sit down in front of that crate or that that kennel area and just like stare at that dog and the people at the grooming <laughs> will move the move the dog that's in her spot to somewhere else because that's just the way she is. I do something similar to that when I'm at the bar. If someone's sitting where I want to sit, I just walk up right behind them and get really close. <laughs> just stare and, at them. And, uh, and I just stand there like this. Like, <laughs> not touching them, just stand there. And then eventually they will get up and move. 
All right. So dog grooming and, and intimidating people in bars aside, if you've got any more questions for Trevor, we're, we're going to be wrapping it up soon. So, so toss it in here. Um, let's uh, so Zero Vapor had a good comment here. You know, Coffee Stain Studios is a great example of building a great community specifically for Satisfactory. Does this affect their branding? All right. So here's what's here's what I find interesting about this. When I think Coffee Stain Studios, I think Goat Simulator. I don't even think Satisfactory. And you're talking about two fucking wildly different games. I mean, absolutely night and day comparing the two. How does something like that affect? your branding trevor if you've got you know if you're if you're doing branding at the studio level and then you have two games that are just like not so so, so so different yeah yeah i mean <clears throat> i think i think you have uh, it depends like like it's it's hard right like did you know that you were going to be creating a brand or a studio that was going to end up releasing totally different things you, you may not have known that right <laughs> yeah, well, um, i mean they didn't because they started out just as a developer and then with the success they had on goat simulator then they started publishing other games got it got it yeah so in that case yeah there's not you can't you can't you can't there's nothing there that you could have changed in terms of how it how it ended up but all you can really do is think about like what is what is the sort of like umbrella of the brand and and what does it mean you know so maybe maybe that is this moment where you got to kind of like refresh what what it means you don't necessarily have to like change the logo but like what if what if you know now like the the, the brand's mission is um just to deliver fun experiences or happiness or you know like i mean at a, at a high level right then you gotta like write down what that really means um but like it can still look very different, you know, it can have two totally different audiences, but it could still be that they're both to entertain people or make people happy or, you know, give people an outlet for whatever their, their, their genre, you know, of choices, you know, so like, I still feel like there's ways to tie things together. Um, but this would be that moment where they should start doing that. You know, they would, they wouldn't want to like just keep releasing stuff and then end up with this Frankenstein, like we sometimes see, right where all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, shit, who, who are you guys? You know, like, what do you represent? Are you just some holding company, you know? I mean, it's interesting because we see some publishers and they only want specific types of games. You know, we are right. a strategy publisher. You know, Paradox is one of those. And they're wildly successful with it. It's like, you don't get, well, anymore. They have done some experiments in the past with like different genres, but it, it doesn't last very long. But you know, a Paradox game is typically going to be a grand strategy RPG, you know, something in, in that area. And then we have companies who basically publish what they want, you know, what they enjoy playing. And it, there may be no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever. Is there a pro or a con to doing that? I mean, I, I like the idea of the, the paradox, you know, approach where you, you kind of have like something, uh, at least you have like a, uh, a, a genre that you're, you're servicing or at least multiple, right? Like, and, and I can speak to this from being a business owner, not of a gaming company as an agency, but still having that same problem of like, we recently had to be like, we can't work with everybody. Like, let's figure out who we really can service well, right? You know, when you first start your company, you're like, "Oh, we'll do anything for everybody. Just, just, just we'll help us." Any clients, yeah. 
right? <laughs> you need beer money, right, Jay? Um, but uh, then we recently like we grew up a little, right? <laughs> as I mentioned, there's that moment, and you go like, all right, um, takes just as much time to work with this level of client as this level of client. So you go like, all right, you know, maybe we adjust the the dials here a little bit. But you also go like, okay, for us it was gaming. All right, we've had some great traction with gaming. Also with entertainment, those two really complement each other, right? You know what doesn't complement each other? Doing B2B for some like accounting firm in San Francisco. So you know what? That's not who we're gonna do marketing for. And we're not gonna learn that. We're gonna stick with our our, our kind of general lane. It's still it's still pretty open, but it's it's specific enough that we're not trying to build a team that could do all three of those things, right? Um, and so I feel like you would you would have the same conversation with yourself or with your team at, when you're making games. Like I've seen companies that do that really well with like mobile games where they're like, you know what? Our mission is to deliver um, fun, quick mobile experiences that can be consumed um, easily um, in bite-sized moments, you know, for a wide variety of people in a certain kind of, like age bracket maybe, you know, um, but the, the games themselves look wildly different. Um, but that's okay. Like I know, like that's what I'm getting from that brand, you know? And so you're kind of like, yeah, let me see what they'll do out next. And I'll, you know, I'll give it a try because it's always something kind of funny or fun or weird, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it is. And I think a lot of it, it, when we boil down to it, we can talk about, you know, best practices and that's what you've been awesome about for the last hour or so is, is giving us some guidance but it, i mean your brand is you you have to make your own brand i mean you, you look at what um the no man's sky team did i mean they did I, for, I forget the name of the actual company but they had this huge you know space exploration game that got panned but then they worked on it so hard and now it like last week it won best ongoing game at the game awards beating out things like Fortnite, but then they released this like little platformer that it's like there's no connection between these two but you know in some ways it's it's a good way for their team to take a break from you know space exploration stuff so yeah that's it yeah no i think i think Come that's awesome like, like literally what you just said just be you do have to be yourself at the end of the day and have a personality right like a brand is no different um, and, and like when you're, when you're young and you're figuring it out young as a brand, I mean, like it's easy to get caught up in it, but like at a certain point you do have to simplify it too. And be like, you know what, we got to make some decisions. We got to pick some lanes. They might change later. That's okay. Right. Yeah. You have that, to exactly. With, exactly. With yeah, exactly. Be willing to adapt, but don't lose like your core of what you started out to do. Like whether that was the experience you wanted to bring people or whether it was like, you know, the type or genre, whatever it is, like there's gotta be something core there that doesn't change. And that's, that's us as human beings. Right. Exactly. So Trevor, thanks so much for coming up, Bob, man. I really yeah. appreciate this. Yeah. This is a great talk. I, <laughs> I like talking about branding and hearing things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anytime, man. Like we said, Dan, I mean, it's, it's not like we ever schedule guests on here that we want to pepper with questions that we want to know the answers to, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. never, never, ever. <laughs> um, so Dan and I are going to go away for a little bit. We're going to enjoy Christmas and, and holidays and, and New Year's, but we're not leaving you stranded. Uh, the podcast versions of our sessions from last week are going to continue 
rolling out while we're on break. And then we will be back in early January, some point. I have to look. Um, let me see here. So, yep. You ah. might have to. You might have to do the raid thing, Mr. The J. What thing? Oh, the I raid. Uh, yeah, we're gonna raid. raid. You're on Twitch. We're gonna raid the IGDA because they're doing a. Oh wait, wait, no, we're we're it's ready. We're ready to raid. So oh, okay, good. Make sure oh, to join the Discord, everybody. Discord.gg slash indie game business. And if you want to get on the social medias, just Google indie game business and you'll find all the things, right? Thanks so much, Trevor. And thank you. Uh let's see here. I gotta do this and then this. We'll see y'all in 2020, everybody. 2021. 2020. <laughs> I don't want to live 2020 over. So I don't don't do that. Don't do that, man. Scary. Freaking me out. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.